Thank you for joining Crossroads Community Church today. We're so excited about what God's doing in the lives of the people of our church and the lives of those who are listening online. If you have any questions or want more information about our church, visit our website at www.crossroadsccl.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now let's jump into the Word with this week's message. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and you make statements like this? That's not what I said. No, I did not do that. You don't really know me. No, that didn't exactly happen that way. And when you're making those kind of statements, they're reflections that you feel like you've been misrepresented or misunderstood. And that's a very, very frustrating experience to have when we are misrepresented or misunderstood. And when it comes to who God is and the Trinity, there is no person or no aspect of who God is that is more misrepresented or more misunderstood than the Holy Spirit. There's a recent survey that was done amongst Bible-believing Christians And when it comes to thinking about the Holy Spirit, they often refer to the Holy Spirit as a force, like in the movie Star Wars. They think of the Holy Spirit as some impersonal emanation or power that that comes from God. And sometimes when I hear Christians speak about the Holy Spirit, they use the pronoun it, which is a non-personal pronoun. In that survey, it said that a lot of people believe that the Holy Spirit is divine, but somehow that he is less than God the Father and less important than God the Son. They don't see him at the same level within the understanding of the Trinity. And then if we even have our theology correct on who the Holy Spirit is, we're often kind of clueless as to why he is there in our lives and what he does. He's kind of like the pituitary gland. You're glad you have it. You don't want to lose it, but you don't exactly know what it does, okay? And so it is with the person of the Holy Spirit. We're glad he's there. We don't want to lose him, but we're not exactly for sure of who he is and what he does. But in this message, I want to simply communicate that the Holy Spirit is given to you as a believer. If you have embraced Jesus Christ in the forgiveness of sins and the leadership of God in your life, you have been given the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says He is your ever-present friend. He is your helper. He is your ally. He is your comrade. He is your coach. He is your encourager. He is your convictor. He is the one who walks beside you through this journey of life. How many of you ever thought, you know, wouldn't it be great to be like the disciples and those who walked with Jesus when he was here, flesh and blood on the planet Earth? Wouldn't you like to have that today? Boy, if I could just walk with Jesus, he could just be beside me in flesh and blood like he was when he was on the planet Earth. That would be so awesome and that would be so cool. But I'm going to show you that the Bible teaches that it is better to have the Holy Spirit within us 
than it is to have Jesus Christ beside us. That Jesus was God with us, the Holy Spirit is God within us. And because we have God within us, we are in a better place to know, to love, to serve, to obey, and to carry out the commands of Jesus Christ because we have this ever-present friend known as the Holy Spirit. So if you have Bibles, turn with me to John 14. John 14, if you are using your Bible app, go ahead and click on to that. If you don't have either, we're going to have scriptures by way of the screen as we talk the basics of who the Holy Spirit is and how he is with us as an ever-present friend. John chapter 14, if we can have the scriptures by way of the screen, verses 15 through 18, and we'll read these, I'll read these. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, But you will know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Let's read verse 18 together. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In John chapter 14 through 17, it's the final hours before Jesus will be betrayed and will be turned over to the Roman authorities to be crucified. And so Jesus is preparing his disciples. He says, in a few days, Things are going to look completely different than you have ever known, ever experienced, ever dreamed. And so he's preparing them for what they're to do, what they're to expect once he is crucified, buried, resurrects, and will ascend to heaven. And he gives them this promise, and in verse 15 he says, If you love me, you're attached to me, you're a follower of me, you will keep my commands. You know, that is the evidence of our love for Jesus is that we obey him and follow him as he's taught us to do. And so he's saying, you guys, I'm not going to be here. But if you love me, you will obey me and you will teach others to obey me. And you will carry on the legacy. I am handing on to you the baton of everything that I've done and said and I'm going to do. You are going to be the stewards. You are going to be the baton carriers of that. And then you will pass it on to the next generation and the next generation. And the disciples are kind of like, whoa, this is too much to hear. And they can't even process it. And they're thinking, how are we going to do this? How are we going to obey you? How are we going to make you a living reality if you are not here and you're not present? Jesus, we can't do that. And Jesus says to them, as he says to us here at Crossroads Community Church, he anticipates that question. In verse 16, he says, And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. Notice the duration of that time, forever. That means time without end. And that means that what Jesus is saying there is present, is a reality, and what should be with us today. Now there are two vital terms that we need to lock into in verse 16 to understand the reality of the dynamic 
of what Jesus is saying. And the terms are another and an advocate. Another and an advocate. Now let's look at the word another. In the Greek, there are two common words for another. One is the term alos, which means a replacement of the exact same equivalent, or heteros, which means an equi- which means a replacement of a different class or a different non-equivalent. The term that Jesus used here is the term alos, which means he will give another advocate, someone of the exact same equivalent. Let's say you're renting a car. You call Hertz, Avis, Enterprise, whatever it may be, and you call them and you say, you know, I want a Mustang. Do you have a Mustang that's available? They say, no, we don't have a Mustang that's available, but we have another car. We have a Camaro that's available. Now, the Camaro, I think, if he were using the Greek, he would use the term alos. And something that is of a equivalent nature, that something is very comparable. And for you who are Chevy fans, that might even look like an upgrade. Okay? But if he were to say to you, no, I don't have a Ford Mustang, but I do have a Ford Focus. I do have another car. And he were speaking Greek, he would use the term heteros. It is something that's of a lesser nature, something of a lower class, something that is inferior. And so when Jesus says that I will give you another advocate, someone in replace of me, the term is alos. And it is someone who is of the exact same class and equivalent. You will lose nothing because I am gone, because the replacement will be of the same nature and power and quality that you experience right now. In fact, Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes, it's going to be better. John 16, verse 7, if we could look at that by way of the screen. Jesus would go on in a couple of chapters. He says, but very truly, I tell you, it's good for you that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says, it's good that I'm going away because something better is coming. With Jesus, it was God with us. With the Holy Spirit, it's God in us. And you're kind of like, wait a minute. I've always thought walking with Jesus, him being present, him being physical, him being flesh and blood, I mean, that's the best deal possible. We imagine walking with Jesus. He's hanging around us kind of like he did the disciples. And we get a headache. We say, Jesus, I've got a headache. He puts his hand on our head and poof, I mean, the headache's gone. How cool. Our dog goes into the street, gets hit by a car. The dog dies, and we say, Jesus, Fido has been killed. And Jesus goes out, lays hands on Fido, and Fido rises. And he goes off, and he runs, and he barks at something else. Cool. Our cat goes out into the street, gets hit by a car. And Jesus goes, and he just performs the funeral and buries the cat. And uh, no, not really. 
But Jesus is there. I mean, Jesus, we get out for lunch with our friends and Jesus is with us. And we've got half a peanut butter jelly sandwich and some Cheetos. And we're hungry and it's lunchtime and we don't have enough food and we give it to Jesus and he multiplies the peanut butter and jelly and the Cheetos and we think, wow, I would love to have Jesus with me because he would be doing those kind of things. But Jesus says, no, there's something better than that. Than having somebody who performs all of these miracles around you, I'm going to give you something better. And it's in that second term in verse 16, it's an advocate. And that word advocate in the Greek is a specific term, and it's called paraclete. It's a compound word in the Greek, para, meaning beside, alongside, someone who is always with you. In kaleo, paraclete, somebody who is called. And this word advocate, some in some of your translations, it has the word friend or helper or comforter and counselor. And they're all good terms because we don't have an equivalent term for what this word paraclete exactly means. There's a guy who wrote in the book, Gordon Dalby, Healing the Masculine Soul. And he talks about the paraclete. He says that in Greek times, when Greek warriors would go out to battle, you would go with a buddy, you would go with a pal, you would go with this guy who's called a paraclete. And you would have a shield and he would have a shield. And you would fight back to back so that you guarded each other's blind side, so that you guarded each other from those surprise attack, attacks. And you would have somebody who was a warrior fighting right beside you who was guarding you, who was protecting you, and that person was a paraclete. And when we have the Holy Spirit, we have been given the presence of God, somebody who walks with us, who's beside us, who's guarding us, who's protecting us, who understands our blind sides and is convicting us of sin and is leading us to walk safely through this journey of life until we get to heaven. I was in graduate school, the Asbury Seminary. It was one evening. I got this extreme burden to pray for a friend of mine. His name is Nick Johnson. He stood up in my wedding. And I just felt this burden. I was praying for him. There was something going on, something big, something heavy. And so as I was praying for him, I was so heavy, I called him up. And Nick's starting out as a, as a missionary. He's reaching foreign people with other religions, other cultures. And right at that time, as, as I called Nick up, the people that he was reaching out to in the house that he was staying at, it was under attack. And the people he was reaching out to were threatening to kill him. And I prayed for him at that moment. Nick was in this fear, he was in this kind of panic. And at the moment that I prayed for him, he just had this peace of God come under over him. And he knew that he was going to be protected. And the Lord led him through that situation. That is the paraclete. And what the Holy Spirit does in us that Jesus couldn't do when he was with us is that God downloads his reality into our lives and he brings us together together. 
so that though we are fighting for one another, that we're backing each other up, that we're working together as a team to accomplish God's purposes in the world. It was 2004. My family and I were on vacation. We were tenting. We were down in Florida in the panhandle. And that was just after this huge hurricane had come and ravaged Florida. I think it happened a couple of weeks before we were there. We were there in August. And we were, we were at the Black River State Park. And so it was morning, and I took my three kids. They were really small and little at that time. And we went down to the Black River, and the water was really high. It was dangerous, but there was no warning signs. And I, I didn't understand the reality of what we were dealing with. And, and as the kids went into the water, to make a long story short, there was the potential of them drowning. It was an extremely scary situation. But we got out of that. We pulled them out of the water. We, we, we got them to shore and on safety. But it was a scary deal. And so Brenda, she's preparing breakfast at that time. And while we were there at the water and Brenda could hear nothing, she knew nothing through her five senses, she felt this urgency to pray because there was some danger going on. She was praying for us through the Holy Spirit because the paraclete, the Holy Spirit was our protector. He was our guide. He had, our, he had us in his hands. A couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, somebody was driving up by the town that I live. As they were driving through that town, they just said, I felt compelled to pray for you and Brenda and about the future direction and those kind of things. They just felt this heavy burden to pray. And then after praying with what this person sensed in prayer, they sent me a text. And it was a text of encouragement of what they felt the Holy Spirit spoke. I thought, well, that was cool. Thank you for doing that. It was maybe a couple of nights later, Brenda and I were having prayer time together. And I said, oh, by the way, I want to read this text to you that somebody sent. And as I read the text, it had two specific items that were near and dear to Brenda's heart that she had never told me about. And they were in this text because the Holy Spirit revealed it to this other person. And it gave confirmation, direction. Brenda's jaw dropped to the ground. And that's what the Holy Spirit does when he is in us that Jesus couldn't do outside of us is that he brings us together to where we love one another, we fight for one another, and miraculously we are on mission for Jesus. And so it should be a regular reality that we are hearing from the Holy Spirit and we are calling one another up and we're saying, I feel like I just want to pray for you. We get some direction for our lives. And we say, you know what? I need to step out and do this. We feel like we should do something that is kind of out of the unusual because the Holy Spirit is compelling us. And this and only through this will we accomplish what Jesus wants us to do. It was this past week, one more example. I was in a meeting with somebody, and it was cut short. It's a good meeting, but somebody had to go. And just as this person left, this other person was outside my office door, and they looked in at me, and I said, come on in. 
and then this person and I had this conversation. It ended up being an important conversation about direction on a particular issue. And, and it was very comforting and encouraging to me. And this person said, I don't know what it was. I just told my wife, I feel like I need to go to the church office today. And so this should be the reality for us as a church. That we are hearing from the Holy Spirit and we are obedient and we are loving each other. And that when the Holy Spirit speaks, we just don't kind of say, oh, I don't have time. Life's too busy. That wouldn't be very convenient. Because we're missing an opportunity for the eternal to invade and impact the present. So let's talk about who the Holy Spirit is. You're in a note-writing mood. Let me give you some basic qualities of the Holy Spirit. Number one, He is divine. He is divine. Scripturally, and I won't go into all the Scriptures, He is God eternal. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He was not created. He has existed from eternity. He is co-equal with the Father and the Son he is part of the Trinity. I love the scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. And this is in the message translation. It says this, as Paul is giving this exhortation to the Corinthian church, bringing the Holy Spirit right into alignment with the Father and Son. The amazing grace of the Master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. The intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. Not only is he divine, he is devoted. He is devoted. Ephesians 4, verse 30, by way of the screen, says, Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. You know, you can't grieve a force. You can only grieve a person. But the person that you grieve is a person who loves you deeply. In order to feel grief, in order to feel that kind of loss, it is because you have an attachment and a connection to someone that is so deep that to have that type of a grief is because there is such a closeness. And so the Holy Spirit is devoted to you, and though He is always with us, we can grieve Him through our continual resisting of His will, through our continual disobedience, through our continual turning off of His voice. And so the Holy Spirit prays for us. He loves us. He empowers us. He guides us. He strengthens us, as John spoke about this morning. But if we don't follow through with that, then we grieve him. And he begins to speak to us less. Number three, he is a deposit. He is a deposit. Ephesians 1.14, the spirit is God's guarantee <clears throat> that he will give us an inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. Some of your translations may have the Holy Spirit as a deposit. He is a guarantee that we will give that He will give us what, what our inheritance is. You go and you want to purchase, you look at a car, some vehicle, 
And you say, you know, I want to buy that, but I don't have all the money right now. And say that vehicle is $9,000, $10,000. You really want it. What do you do in order to guarantee the purchase of it? You make a deposit. And you say to that owner, I'll give you $1,000 right now and I will be back with the rest of the money later. Because I'm going to give you this $1,000, it is a guarantee that I will come back and purchase the whole thing. Do not sell it to anyone else. And Ephesians 1.14 says that the Holy Spirit is a deposit, is a guarantee. That when God downloads His Spirit into our lives, it is a promise that God will work with us, that God will carry us through this planet through this earth, until we reach eternity. Folks, there's not a lot of things that we can bank on, is there? There's not a lot of guarantees. Death and taxes, right? Those are guaranteed in this life. All right? There's a guarantee that you're going to have a long time getting out of St. Clair after the fireworks show, okay? That's a guarantee, right? There's not a lot of guarantees, but when God gives you the Holy Spirit, it's a guarantee. That you will be in eternity with God. In fact, it is such a guarantee that you can be there 10,000 years in heaven and you are there right now. You are promised that you will be in heaven. It's a guarantee that God will finish what He has started within you. Some people say, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to make myself ready for heaven. I'm trying to really work hard. I'm trying to go to church. I'm trying to be good enough. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying so that God will accept me. And the Bible says that if you have the Holy Spirit, it is a guarantee that you are going to be there because it is proof that God loves you and He considers you His child to such a degree that He has imparted His very own life within you. Well, let's put some shoe leather on this. And let me give you three encouragements as we, as we seek to make this a little more practical for Sunday to take it into Monday. And let me give you the first encouragement. It's this. Know the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Know the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, Jesus calls him the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. The world doesn't understand the Holy Spirit. The way of the Holy Spirit is not the way of this world. The way the Holy Spirit works is he works internally. He changes our heart. He changes our motivations. So that when we see the word of God, when God's word comes into our mind, he takes it and he motivates us to obey it from the inside out. How many of you remember in the days in the public pools, 70s and 80s, they had the good old high dive? They don't have those as much anymore. I remember going to the public pool, and I would be there with a group of kids. I'm nine years old, and there's that high dive. Man, that thing looks scary to me as a nine-year-old. And kids are around me, and they're going up on the high dive, and they look at me and says, Farrell, are you afraid to get up on the high dive? No, I'm not afraid. Well, then why don't you do it? I just haven't done it yet. Well, then show us you're not afraid. I'll show you I'm not afraid. Go up on the high dive. And so to save face, what do I do? 
I'm climbing up the high dive and I'm thinking to myself, why am I doing this? And I get on top of the high dive and I look down and it's scary. And I'm walking on the high dive and I'm thinking to myself, so this is how pirates killed people. This is walking the plank. But they're looking at me, Farrell, are you afraid? No, I'm not afraid. And so I walk the plank and I drop down into the water, into that watery grave. And then fortunately I came back up. I wasn't wearing glasses then. They started at the age of 40, so. That's the way the world does. You want to be something. You want to be successful. You want to matter. You want to prove yourself. You want to be somebody who counts. Then you do this and everybody's watching and the world conforms you. But the Holy Spirit doesn't do that. He comes within you and He changes you step by step from the inside out so that when you get the Word of God, He motivates you out of love, out of a desire to obey Him. And so somebody says something sharp and cutting to you. You've been reading the word about being patient. And something in you says, you know what, I I don't need to respond. I don't really need to engage. And there's something happening within you that's, that's changing. You see somebody who's attractive to the opposite sex. Instead of, oh, he, she looks so good, knock me unconscious. You're kind of like, okay, yeah. They're handsome, they're pretty. But God, you're teaching me to look at the beauty on the inside of a person and not just kind of objectify them from the outside. You open up the Bible and it begins to speak to you. It used to just be words on a page that didn't make sense, and, but now it's speaking to you because now you know the author of that book. And it's becoming living, it's becoming life-giving. You're going through a challenging, difficult time. And instead of just caving into all of it, there's a source of strength that's within you, a light and a strength that is bigger, that is greater than the pressures and the darkness of this world. And you find that that the times are difficult, it's challenging, but you've got resources inside of you to go through those times that you did not have. And this is because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Number two, know the identity of the Holy Spirit. Know the identity of the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I'll not leave you. The Holy Spirit is given to us so that we know we're not orphans. An orphan is someone who feels forsaken. When we have the Holy Spirit, we know we are not forsaken by God. And one of the gifts that he does is that he corrects us in our sin. And he corrects us in a way that is very specific and is very clear, not to bind us to our past, but to help us to rise above the past. And many people have not learned the distinction between the identity of the Holy Spirit and the condemnation of Satan. When Satan, can, when Satan speaks to us about our sin, he does it to bog us down and to lock us into our past. And he says general things like this, you are lousy, You're not going to amount to anything. Your church isn't going to go ahead. You're a failure. If you were a good Christian, 
And we talked about that a couple of weeks. When we curse people, it's when we agree with Satan about somebody's future. But the Holy Spirit's not like that. He speaks very specifically, and he speaks gently. You've lost your focus on what's important. This is why your mind is so stressed and bogged down, and you're so filled with anxiety. And you say, thank you for speaking that to me. And you get your mind back on what is important, and you say, thank you, Lord, for bringing me back on the right track. You're so distracted and bound because of what people think. You're bound by fear, and it's a trap for you. The Holy Spirit speaks. They say, thank you, Lord. I just want to be pleasing to you. I just want to do what's right in your sight. And Lord, I'll obey you, even if it may mean some rejection. Thank you, Lord. I now have a new level of freedom. The Holy Spirit says, you don't need to be jealous because I've given you everything. You need to quit looking at what they have and what you don't have. Look at everything that I have given you and all the blessings I've given you to enjoy. You say, thank you, Holy Spirit. I'm free of that jealousy. And now I can just enjoy and be content in the blessings that you give me. And when the Holy Spirit corrects, he does it to liberate us so that we can leave the past and move toward the future. Number three. Know the impact of the Holy Spirit. Know the impact of the Holy Spirit. Here are the disciples. It's Passover. The temple authorities hate Jesus. There's bad news that's coming. But Jesus says, you will have the Holy Spirit. And maybe you're in that situation right now. You're saying, I don't know how things are going to be with my job. I've got friends who have turned on me. I thought I knew what I wanted in life, but lately it has been so disappointing. And Jesus says the same thing to you. You are not alone. You have a friend. You have an advocate. You have a helper. You have the paraclete. And guess what? God offers that to you.
Let's pray. Maybe right now is a time where you need to invite the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, just ask. Surrender your heart, just ask. And the presence of the Holy Spirit will be there. And we're going to talk about that next week, what it means to be filled, controlled, and led by the Holy Spirit. And maybe you're here this morning and you just need His presence. You need to surrender to Him as your friend, as your advocate, as your counselor. I just ask just, just to lift your hands to God and say, Lord, I open the door of my heart to the Holy Spirit. I surrender to his friendship, his guidance, his correction, his power. He is here. Lord, I, I just lay my life before the cross. And so lead me and guide me, Lord. And I thank you for that. Father, you are an awesome God, and we thank you that through the cross of Jesus, we have been forgiven, but not only forgiven, but have been given this gift of friendship with you through the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, as we continue in this journey of understanding who he is and what he does, Lord, continue to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And it's in Christ's name we ask this. And everybody said, Amen.